0: As-salamu alaykum wa
1: rahmatullahi wa jum'ah mubarak. Today, I'm going to recite from Surah Naziat, Chapter 79, and the verse 15, insha'Allah.
2: A'udhu <laughs> billahi minash shaytani ar-rajim. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Bye. فَقَالَنَا <تصفيق> رَبُّكُمْ <تصفيق> والجبال ye نفس عن الهوى فإن يسألونك عن yeah سُبْحَانَ قَائِلِ الْعَظِيمِ سُبْحَانَ رَبِّكَ رَبِّ الْعِزَّةِ عَمَّا يَصِفُونَ وَسَلَامٌ عَلَى وَالْحَمْدُ لله الله اكبر الله اكبر, الله أكبر الله الرسول الله the على who is the على who is
0: الحمد لله أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وأشهد أن محمد عبده ورسوله السلام عليكم. all praise and all thanks are due to God I bear witness that there is none but him and that Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him is his messenger and his prophet I will continue inshallah with my PowerPoint presentations Taking advantage of the license that the obligation of Friday prayer has been suspended to do the reflections in a bit of an unconventional way, and please take note that I am calling these the Friday reflections, as many Islamic centers are doing, rather than the Friday khutbah, since there is no official Friday prayer, and in that case I am taking the license Uh, to do the PowerPoint presentations, as so many people have told me that they do appreciate the visual input as well. And I'm titling this reflection, The Roots of Rage and the Seeds of Hope. And I would like to note that this is really part one of a two-part series, part two being tonight, inshallah, at family night, where we will continue the discussion begun here. I would like to continue reflecting on the protests which have rocked our nation in the wake of the murder of George Floyd at the hands of the police, a murder that we all saw. And while we think that everything that can be said has been said, I would like to reflect on something a little bit different. I would like to ask the question, how did we get here? Because I think that question informs where do we go from here and what do we do next. We know, of course, that the proximate immediate cause was the brutal murder of George Floyd. But what is the deeper cause behind that? What do I mean by that? I mean that so many of the protests have been calling for legal reform, new laws about police behavior, defunding and restructuring the police departments. And that is all well and good. But I think that we as Muslims need to also focus on something else. We already have laws against murder. We have laws against police brutality. Are laws enough? Clearly they are not because George Floyd is just one in a pandemic of police brutality against people of color. It was the deaths of Trayvon Martin and Michael Brown at the hands of the police that gave birth to the Black Lives Matter movement. And we have Tamar Rice, a 12-year-old, playing with snowballs and a toy gun We have Eric Garner, we have Breonna Taylor, we have Elijah McLean, we have John Crawford. And those last two names are especially telling and I will talk about them momentarily. But the question I want to raise now is we already have laws that should have prevented this sort of thing. But what is the relationship between laws and attitudes? Do things go from the top down or from the bottom up? What do I mean by that? I mean, do good laws make good people, or do good people make good laws? And I would like to argue in this khutbah that it is not enough to expect that good laws can make good people, because we have seen good laws fail. That what Islam shows us is that it is good people who make good laws, and then we have a feedback circuit. So, let us look at a snippet from verse 11 of Surah Al-Ra'at. Billahi hatta ma bi anfusihim." Surely Allah changeth not the condition of a people until they change that which is in their hearts. And let's look at the translation from Muhammad Asad verily, God does not change men's condition unless they change their inner selves. And we'll look at the other translations as well. But to preface those, what we're saying here is that external conditions, for example, laws and regulations, they do not institute a change until we get a change in people's hearts. People's hearts have to change first, then the external conditions will follow that. So, Allah changeth not the condition of a folk until they first change that which is in their hearts. That's Pikthal's translation. Allah does not change a people's lot until they change what is in their hearts, Yusuf Ali. So, what is the bearing of this on the George Floyd situation. I think that the bearing is that we as Muslims need to, along with calling for legal reform, call for and pioneer educational reform. We need to change what is in people's hearts because that is what will lead to proper application of the laws. Changing the laws externally While people's attitudes are unchanged will do us little good. Let's look at an example of this from something that has nothing to do with racism. The story of the children of Israel when they were oppressed and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prescribed fighting back for themselves upon them. And let us look at how the verses describe the situation. But when fighting was prescribed for them, they turned away except for a few of them. What does that tell us? It tells us you can pass laws to make people fight. You can impose a draft. You can try to force people. But can those laws make people brave? Can they make people committed? Can they make people patriotic? This is what I'm talking about from the top down or from the bottom up. Things have to come from the bottom up, from the heart. And so we see as the story continues in Surah Al-Baqarah, I won't read the entire verse, but this is about the children of Israel. A king was appointed for them, Talut or Saul, and fighting was prescribed upon them. But what was the response? The response was that most of them Said when they faced Goliath and his army, We have no power today against Goliath and his soldiers. But a small group whose hearts were right, they said something different. They said, Those who were certain that they would meet Allah, those whose hearts were right, whose attitudes and beliefs had been changed by faith, they behaved differently. How many a small company has overcome a large company by the will or by the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah is with the patient. To further amplify that what has to come first is educational reform. What has to come first is the change in the heart. We look at Surat al-Baqarah. This is the book about which there is no doubt, a guidance for those who are conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So this underscores the distinction between Mecca Quran and Madani Quran. The Quran revealed in Mecca was. Correcting people's beliefs so that they have the right attitudes. That came before the Quran revealed in Medina that then made the laws because people had to have a correct belief system, a correct set of attitudes so that the laws would make a difference in their lives. So, the concept of prayer was revealed very early on. To submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and worship Him, then the mechanics of the five daily prayers and the number of rakahs and so on were revealed many years later. The concept of fasting, that it instills piety, was revealed and practiced early on, but it was voluntary to teach people. And then the obligation of the month of Ramadan was prescribed in the early Medina period, many years later. The notion of self-responsibility before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, needing to be responsible at all times and possessive faculties is instilled early on, and then the gradual prohibition of alcohol and intoxicants. The Quran didn't come with a law right off the bat, prohibiting alcohol, right? People's hearts had to be right for the law to make a difference. So now let us return to the issue at hand, racism. We have the Emancipation Proclamation and the 13th Amendment ending slavery. Then we have the 14th Amendment making African-Americans citizens, that they cannot be deprived of life or liberty or property and they would have equal protection of the laws. Then in 1870, we have the 15th Amendment granting African-American men the right to vote. So we have good laws. But what happened? What happened is that we didn't have educational reform to correct people's beliefs and attitudes. And so the 15th Amendment that granted African-American men the right to vote was subverted by various discriminatory practices, like for example, okay, you have the right to vote, but you have to pay a poll tax, knowing that the African Americans who were poor couldn't afford the tax. Or you have to pass a complicated literacy test, knowing that most of them couldn't pass it. Or yes, you can go out to vote, but we're going to intimidate you, or beat you, or lynch you, but of course you're free to vote. So, having the law, having a a constitutional amendment wasn't enough, because all of these other laws were passed, as well as illegal practices, like intimidation and lynching and the KKK, that then prevented the African American population from using and exercising this right. So for example, in Ohio, you had a man named Thurman who ran for governor and his campaign was the promise to bar black citizens from voting. He missed being the governor, he was defeated, but he got into the Senate and indeed worked very hard on this issue. Many decades later, we have what is called the Red Summer. And what are we doing here? What we're doing here is again now the self-education that we've been calling for. And so many things I've heard people say, well, we have to educate ourselves. Okay, so let us educate ourselves. In our nation, we had something called the Red Summer, which in 1919 saw numerous race riots against African-Americans, against the fact that they were being accorded some of their basic human rights. There were close to 100 recorded lynchings. God knows how many were unrecorded. In Elaine, Arkansas, there was a three day long massacre where over 200 black men, women and children were killed after black sharecroppers tried to organize for better working conditions. We already had laws to prevent all of these things, but the laws did us no good. We also have something known as the Rosewood Massacre. The Rosewood Massacre was an attack on an African-American town, Rosewood, Florida in 1923, by large groups of white aggressors, and the town was essentially totally wiped out. Did we have laws against this? Of course we did. What was the problem? The problem is we did not educate our citizenry that discrimination, that racial bias is an evil, and that it is a scourge. And so, we as Muslims need to be calling for educational reform and instituting in our Islamic schools and then going out to other schools and saying, we need educational reform. If you're not convinced, let me show you one of the saddest pictures I have ever seen. Back to that red summer of 1919, this is a group of white children cheering after they had set fire to an African-American home. And so this isn't an issue of laws. This is an issue of raising good people, people who should have raised their children to know that racism is vile. And evil and is a plague much worse than COVID and without that you end up with children like this and then the laws don't matter and children like this become not only the police officers who would strangle George Floyd while he's pleading that he can't breathe The exact same thing happened to Eric Garner, who kept pleading with the police, I can't breathe. And Elijah McLean, the meek young man whose only mistake literally was being black. He bought iced tea, was walking down the street. Somebody saw him and called the police and said there's a suspicious guy. And from there, things spiraled. Why was he suspicious? Because he was black. And John Crawford, I said I would mention Elijah McLean and John Crawford again. John Crawford was just a regular guy in a Walmart looking at a BB gun to buy, an unloaded BB gun, when some do-gooder decided to call the police and say there's a black man with a gun in the store, and he's pointing it at people, and he wasn't. And of course, the police came in and they shot him. The problem, brothers and sisters, is that our schools made a conscious decision to stop values-based education. They made a decision that schools are not in the business of raising children, they're in the business of teaching. We have begun to see, not we have begun, we have always seen the cost of this strategy. A couple of books you may be interested in is When the Bow Breaks, The Cost of Neglecting Our Children. Sylvia Ann Hewlett is an economist, and she makes the case that in the quote-unquote civilized world or first world, the United States by far is the most neglectful of its children, and she details the costs of that. This book by Thomas Lacona, Thomas Lacona has become a pioneer in the values-based education movement. His book, Educating for Character, is trying again to make the case that we have gone off the rails and that schools should not just be teaching children facts, but should be instilling in them moral values. And I went to school here, many of you went to school here. Yes, we were taught about slavery, Yes, we were taught about racial bias. Yes, we were taught about Jim Crow laws, but we were taught about it in a very cold clinical way. Here are the facts. Never ever did a teacher step up and say, racism is evil, don't be a racist. And here's why it's wrong. That sort of moral education was never part of our curriculum. And this is our job now as Muslims. So it is in this light that I want to go back and very quickly revisit the sources that we have heard in khutbah after khutbah. And I'm sorry for being repetitive. But let's look at them now in this context. The Quran is doing this moral education. So in Surah Al-Hujurat, rajim O mankind, we have created you from male and female and made you nations and tribes so that you may know each other and know that the best of you in the sight of God is the most righteous or the most pious. Indeed, God is all knowing and all acquainted. So the Quran is teaching us that the measure of people is not the color of their skin or the depth of their pocket, or the name of their family, it is their piety. And in Surah Al-Isra, just the first part of the verse, وَلَقَدْ كَرَّمْنَا بَنِي Adam," We have honored the children of Adam. Every human being by virtue of their humanity is possessed of an inalienable dignity. And that dignity does not get diminished because their skin may be a darker shade. This is the Qur'an educating people, changing their hearts before laying down the laws. (inaudible) Udu'ullah. Alhamdulillah, thumma alhamdulillah. Why is this education so critical? Because other than the overt violence There is a huge toll when we don't teach our children against racism. There's a toll on the perpetrators and there's an even bigger toll upon those who have racism perpetrated against them. One of the well-known old now classical but still most moving Bits of research is the doll test done by Dr. Kenneth Clark and his wife, black psychologists who were pioneers in the 1940s and 1950s studying the effect of racism on black children. And they showed, and the statistical significance of their results was more than a million to one, that black children, when they were given dolls, they preferred to play with the white dolls. Why? Because Of the poor self-image that racism had imposed on them. We see this today, black children under 13 are twice as likely to commit suicide as white children. The most recent data is that black teen suicides are up 73% while white teen suicides are down. And it is precisely this self-esteem issue that the Quran and the Hadith address. And so, The hadith we have all heard and all quoted from the Prophet, peace be upon him, in his farewell pilgrimage, that, O people, your Lord is one and your father Adam is one. There is no virtue of an Arab over a non-Arab, nor a non-Arab over an Arab, and neither white skin over black skin, nor black skin over white skin, except by righteousness. Have I not delivered the message? And the Prophet teaching us Allah does not look at your images or your colors, but he looks at your hearts, your intentions, and your deeds. And we cannot discount the effect on people of color when these messages don't sink into people's hearts. And if you look at pre-Islamic Arabia, For those of you who are interested in such things, there was a very well known warrior and a very famous poet and those were the two things prized by the Arabs. His name was Antara ibn Shaddad al-Absi and he spent a lot of his poetry glorifying himself. Why is that? Because his mother was a black African slave. And because of that, he was disowned, in fact, enslaved by his father. And the fact that he was a champion warrior and a champion poet was not enough to give him status among the Arabs. And so his poetry was a poetry of resentment against this racism. And in one line of his Muallaka, the Muallaka is a poem so good, so famous that it gets hung up in the Kaaba. He talks about this issue and he says, وَأَنَا إِبْنُ سَوْدَاءِ I won't bother translating that, but it was just a brief example. And what happened with the Prophet's mission is that he succeeded. The issue of educational reform proved itself to be a stunning success. And when the Quran says on Surah Al Nasr, <laughs> When you see the help and the victory of Allah, and you see people entering God's religion in droves, extol the gratitude and the praise of your Lord and ask His forgiveness. Truly, He is the most forgiving. This is, according to our best belief, and God knows best, the last complete surah revealed to the Prophet just a couple of months before he died, peace be upon him. And it talks about the victory of Allah. And when people interpret this, they often say that was the conquest of Mecca. I believe that that victory was so much bigger. It was the victory of a new ethic, a new set of morals, of an educational system that changed people's hearts. And we can see the effect of this educational reform in the incident of the famous companion Abu Dhar al-Ghifari and the more famous companion Bilal ibn Rabah. Bilal, as you know, was black. And he got into an argument with Abu Dharr, Abu Dharr got into an argument with him, and in the heat of the argument, Abu Dharr insults him and says, Ya ibn al-Sawdad, O you son of a black woman, which would be the equivalent of our N-word. And Bilal goes to the Prophet, and the Prophet, peace be upon him, comes to Abu Dharr angry, and he says, Ya Aba Dharr, bi O Abu Dharr, you insult him by his mother, innakam ru'un fika jahiliya." You are a man who is still in the state of pagan ignorance. And Abu Dhar felt so ashamed, rather than the arrogance of today's racists, he felt so ashamed that he went to Bilal and he lay down and he put his face in the dust. And he said, I swear by God, I will not get up Bilal until you step on my other cheek with your foot. This is how he atoned for his racism. And the incident of Omar ibn al-Khattab, when he was the khalifa of the Muslims now. And he went from Medina to visit Mecca, and the governor that he had appointed in Mecca came out to meet him, out of politeness, a short way from Mecca. And so they met in a place called Usfan, about, I guess, 10 kilometers or so from Mecca. And... So Umar ibn al-Khattab asks him, so who have you left in charge of Mecca in your absence? And the governor says, Ibn Abza. I left Abdullah ibn Abza. Now Umar ibn al-Khattab is is a Meccan man. He's grown up in Mecca. He knew the people of Mecca. He doesn't know this man. He says, who's who's Ibn Abza? And the governor says, he is a mawla. A mawla is somebody who either was a slave and was freed, or the son of someone who was a slave. And Umar ibn al-Khattab is very surprised that you left a mawla in charge of the nobles of Mecca? And so the governor says to him, he reads the book of Allah, he is correct in his prayers. And so all of a sudden, of course, it dawns on Umar that this is what Islam is. We don't have these sort of racist tendencies that this man was a mawla. And Abu al-Khattab said, by God the Prophet, peace be upon him, spoke the truth when he said that this book, the Quran, will raise some and will lower others. And it raises those who are pious and it lowers those who are not. So now we are back to how we got here and back to the title of these reflections, Roots of Rage and Seeds of Hope. Throughout This reflection I've been talking about why we have a sense of rage. Now if we look again at this picture, I think we can finally have a sense of hope. We see that so many of the protesters here are white and we feel that perhaps this finally is a turning point that in the most gruesome way possible watching the murder of George Floyd was the educational reform that so many in our nation needed. We as Muslims need to be at the forefront of calling for and instituting and pioneering this educational reform and we hope inshallah, that God accepts this from us. Once again, I remind you that this reflection is part one of a two-part discussion. Part two will be tonight, inshallah, at family night where we we will look at how racism, we will take a case study and look at how racism became institutionalized in our nation and why it's going to take some very significant educational reform to undo it. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for success in that endeavor and for guidance and for mercy in this world and the hereafter Salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah allahu akbar allahu akbar la ilaha ila
2: illallah shahadu anna muhammadar rasulullah hayya 'alas salat hayya ala al-falah We the ones who are the
1: سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك تبارك the الحمد لله
2: رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم مؤرسين هذا البلد الامين لقد خلقنا الانسان في احسن تقوين. ثم فَمَا يُكَذِّبُكَ بَعْدُ بِالدِّينِ أَلَيْسَ اللَّهُ بِأَحْكَمِ الْحَاكِمِينَ اللَّهُ وَقَفَ سَمِعَ اللَّهُ لِمَنْ
1: عميده Allah <singing>
2: الله اكبر الله Surah الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم i في دين الله الله أكبر Salamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Salamu
1: alaikum wa rahmatullah. Step forward, step forward, step Salamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa rahmatullah. Brothers and sisters, May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept our prayers. I would like to thank our khatib, Dr. Yasser Hadhud, for this beautiful khutbah, or in his approach, reflection. Uh, May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless him and bless his family members. Now, I would like to share with you uh, for this week's programs in the order of dates, inshallah. Tonight, as Dr. Yasser mentioned, we will have Muslim Family Night, and the topic is Roots of Uh, racism this will be via zoom virtual inshallah at 6 30 p.m. tonight please join us and then uh, tomorrow uh, golden hour is taking place at 3 30 a.m. Uh, this is also via zoom uh, tahajjud and Salatul fajr program you can find the details of the program and the zoom address and the link on our website so I'm just reminding you the programs I'm not going to go into details of the programs and then the next one is uh, that we have Uh, there is a protest going on. It's called Muslims Rollout Against Police Violence. So this will be tomorrow um, at 10 a.m. starting at Islah Alay. And for this also you can find the detailed information on our newsletter, uh, insha'Allah. And then uh, tomorrow morning at 9.30, the food pantry takes place. And if you know anyone who is in need of help, please inform them they can come and benefit from this beautiful service. And it will be open until 11.30 a.m. At the Islamic Center of Southern California, behind the center and the parking lot. Uh, this Sunday, uh, we will have Tafsir al Quran, inshallah. The topic is Quran and justice with Brother Muhammad Wasik. And then it will be followed by the lecture, and it will be given by Dr. Zaman Stanzai. Uh, and the topic is Islam in history. So it is starting at 12 p.m. via Zoom again. Join us, inshallah. And as you all know, the weekly program is going on since the end of Ramadan. We have the Qur'an Back to Basics on Monday and Qur'an by Heart and Spiritual Fireside Chat on Tuesday at 9 p.m. And then Weeknight Spiritual Reset on Thursdays at 9 p.m. uh, all the way until 10 So join us, Inshallah, for these spiritual programs in the evenings. And uh, save the dates for these important uh, coming programs. The first one is Hidden Figures, Tracing the History of Muslim Women Scholars. And this will be starting on July 19, uh, Sundays, uh, from 12 p.m. to 1.30 p.m. And you can find the detailed information, again, on our website. We have great scholars such as Dr. Esma Barlas and Dr. Esma Sayed and Dr. Emna wadud and our sister Gail Kennard will be part of this discussion. So join us, inshallah. Uh, and last but not least, uh, another important program is coming. This, will be, this is titled as Hatwood Legacy Lectures Introduction to the science of Hadith, and this will be given by Dr. Uh, Gasser uh, class, and you, you need to register for this one starting on July 20th uh, at 9 p.m. Uh, this will be on uh, 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 Tuesdays and uh, uh, and Thursdays Inshallah. Was it Tuesdays or Thursdays? You can find the detail. I don't see it here. I think it was Mondays and, uh, and Thursdays so please register you can find all the detailed information on our website and then also on our newsletter and plus social media, uh, that would be wonderful. And also, I would like to remind you that we have a, a canceling program, the mental and the spiritual counseling. And if you are in need of help, either mental or spiritual, uh, so you can always reach out to us. And uh, our information is also again on, on our website. May Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala bless you and protect you all. Assalamu Alaikum Warahmatullahi Wabarakatuh.